0: I invite you to open up your Bibles to 1st Timothy, chapter 3. 1st Timothy, chapter 3. And although Paul is going to talk about what to look for in a pastor... I think we need to all look at these and say, Lord, are these are these qualities in my heart and life as well? Because God wants this for all of us as well. But we are living in a time where it's hard to find people who want to lead the church. If you um, know the uh, School Frontier School of the Bible, how many of you know that one? That's where David went. Oh. It's in Wyoming. Can anything come out of good out of Wyoming? Well, anyway, um, they they were asked recently by several churches, I think over 90 different ministries, we need somebody to lead our ministry. We need a pastor. Do you have anyone you could recommend? And do you know how many out of the 90 they recommended? Guess. Zero. They had nobody. Here's the school forming pastors. And they had nobody to give. Where do they come from? I mean, how do you find them? I I got a kick out of Tim that came from Liberty. We were just in his church a couple weeks ago, and the Midwest is a different animal. You come out here, the West is so different. But he told his pastor before he came out here, he said, he said, if I don't find pastors in three years, fire me. It's been three years, Tim. (laughs) Where are they? In like fact, he's got a few churches right now open that he can't get anybody to Right here in Colorado, he can't get anyone to come. And so um, it's amazing. Where are they? Where are they? Um, how is it? How is it? I mean, what, what does it entail? And What does God want? Well, I want you to look at this because I broke this down into two parts. I didn't know it was gonna snow, and I think it's Brian's fault that it snowed because we sang the song, he washed me white as snow, and uh, you know the Lord wanted to give us a visual on that. But anyway, um, I'm getting around. But if you look at it, verses one to seven, they go all together, and really there are six qualities here, six things that we can look at when we're looking at leadership of a church. Here we're gonna we're gonna see in verse one that they have a desire. In verse 2, they have character to back up that desire. In verse 2, we're going to see that that person's able to teach. Verse verse 4, I'm sorry, we're going to see, Lord willing, next week that they're a family man because it's important how they rule their family and how they manage their family. If they don't do that well, they're not going to do the church well. And then verse 6, we're going to see that they're not a new convert. They just recently get saved. And in verse 7, Lord willing, next week we're going to see that they're in the community and the community thinks about them in a certain way that's important when we have those people in our church. What does the community say about those those people as well? But I want you to look at this because it starts out with, you know, what what does God want? And here's what's interesting. Verse 1, in chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. This is a trustworthy statement. Now, now, here's what's amazing. Um, Rick wrote me a, a thing this week, a devotional this week, and he said this. He said, in the devotional, it said, there are four times that Paul says it is a trustworthy statement in his books. And the answer to that is right or wrong. Is that right or wrong? Four times that Paul says it. Right or wrong? Think this through. It, it, it's, it's wrong. Why? There's five times he says this statement. You know the statement the guy left out? Guess which one?
1: This one right here.
0: Right? All the other ones are all exciting, right? You remember we we studied chapter 1 verse 15. This is a trustworthy statement that Christ came into the world to save sinners of which I am chief. And we build our lives around that. But he he doesn't even mention this one in his devotional as one of the poems. This is a great statement. This is a statement we ought to build our lives around. He's saying in verse one. This is a wonderful thing. This is what you ought to look for. If you're a single lady looking for a man, these are the things you ought to look for. If you're a, 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 a wife, this is what your husband should be. If you're if you're a husband, this is who you should be. Or a man, this is who you should be. This is what it is. Look what it says in verse one. This is a trust worthy statement. The first thing we're going to see is that the person has a desire to serve God's people. Watch this. If any man aspires, is the word there. Now, interesting, any man, we've already talked about how when it comes to leadership, women God doesn't permit that women be in places of leadership or women teach. In verse 12, we saw that already. That's what, this is God. Now he's talking about a man here. If any man aspires, the word there literally means to long after, to stretch out, to try to reach. Now let me share something. My wife, I don't know if you know this, she is one inch taller than me. That's it, one inch. But with that one inch, She puts stuff in certain places I can't get to. And so I am there and I am trying to stretch out and reach that plate because I'm hungry and I wanna eat, you know, and I can't get, how did she get that up there? And I'll stretch and I'll call her, Katie, I need help, I can't get it. What's neat about having a marriage like this is she can never ask me to go get (laughs) something because she's taller than I am. (laughs) So I just say, honey, you're the, you're the tall one here. I'm not. But here's what it's saying the guy stretches out. He reaches for it. He really wants this. This is a desire in his heart. This is not something where you're twisting somebody's arm so they can do it, or pulling their teeth so they can do it. This is a God given desire that comes only from God. He's stretching out. Notice in verse 1, it says here, he desires to do this. There's a desire in his heart. He has a heart of a servant. He wants to serve God's people. Now, what is this desire? Look at it here. Verse Verse 1. If any man desires, watch this, the office of an overseer. Now that's a terrible translation. Because the word office is not in the Greek. It is literally overseeing, or some translations have bishop. He wants to be a bishop. Now, that's a biblical term, by the way. Now, how come no one here calls me bishop? Did you know I'm Bishop Jeremy? Now, be careful with bishop. Why? Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff. When we think of bishop, they've ruined the word in English. And some churches, they take the word bishop and they say, oh, okay, he's a bishop. That means he oversees pastors and churches. That's not what a biblical bishop is. This word episcopos means that he is an overseer, he's a guardian, he watches out for souls. So the desire, the servant's desire there in, in verse 1 is to watch out for souls, to oversee, to supervise, to be a guardian. To be a guard, a watchdog, like some people use, or, 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 or somebody who, who organizes or oversees, supervisor. But here's what's different. In God's economy, a supervisor is not somebody that just looks over. A supervisor is a servant. And interesting that this word overseer, he uses in different ways, overseer, And then it's also used of an elder and it's used of a pastor. So the same term is used of all three people. They're they're the same person interchangeably. You say, where's that in the Bible? Go with me to Acts. I want to show you real quick. Acts chapter 20. All right. Acts chapter 20. And so he's going to mention here He's talking to the elders, verse 17. He calls the elders. And then in verse 28, here's what he tells the elders to do. So in Acts 20, verse 17, he's calling the elders to him. He's going to talk to them. And in verse 28, he's going to tell them, this is what you need to do. You need to be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Among whom the Holy Spirit has made you what? Overseers. You see it? Here are elders. They're overseers. Same person. They're not different people. And here's what they're to do as overseers. They're to shepherd. There's the Greek word to pastor. They are the pastor, the church of God. Which God purchased with his blood. And so it's the same person. We in a non-denominational Bible church, we use the word pastor. That's good. We understand what pastor means. In others, we use elder too, and it's not bad. Some churches, they use elder and they change elder into different things. They have elders, they have pastors, they have bishops and all different. It's the same person. Just use interchangeably. The function is different. Look at this here. He is to oversee, supervise. God has put it in his heart. It's not like he can't do anything else. You hear this when people say, well, yeah, the person's a pastor because he can't do anything else. Well, that's not true. Or somebody tells you this. Oh, I'm I'm here because I can't. No, no, it's not that you can't. It's that you won't. This is a God-given desire in your heart. I used to be very good at FedEx. I mean, really good. I was the employer of the month a couple of times. And I remember one time, if I could buy a shirt that said he's the best FedEx guy in the world, I would have. I thought I was. And then one day it snowed like this, and I got in trouble and I I went into one, this this lady's yard and I ripped up her yard with my truck and they almost fired me. I went from thinking that I was the best FedEx to the worst in the world. But I love giving packages out. I've preached to a lot of packages. None of them changed. None of them. I'll be in my truck giving a sermon. Nobody moves. Unbelievable. But it's not that they can't do something else. It's that they won't do something else because they have this God-given desire. Now watch this here. This is amazing. Verse 1. This is a trustworthy statement. He aspires to be an overseer, to watch out for people's souls. It is. Notice this in the in the verse. It is a what? It is a fine work. Do you see that? It is a good work. It is a beautiful work. It is a wonderful work. It's it's not just so easy. It is. It's work. Believe me, it's work. But it's it's a fine work. It's it's a good work. It's a beneficial work. I I, I was. Just this last week, one of the guys eight years ago that was sitting in this church, that was a military guy who didn't know Jesus when he walked in here, who came to Jesus by God's grace and got saved here in this church, is now studying in a seminary to be a preacher. Let me just tell you something. That is exciting. You go from somebody who didn't even know Jesus to somebody who now knows Jesus who's living for Jesus, who's now studying the Bible and wants to learn more in a seminary. That is one of That's a good word. I, I, I get excited about God. You never know what God's going to do. Somebody says, if that doesn't excite you, we had one professor who used to go, what else can you do? Talk to people for a little bit and change their lives for eternity. If that doesn't excite you, go sell cars. Now, nothing wrong with selling cars. If you do, we'll talk later. But you know, I don't know but It's exciting. It's a chaos. It's a good work. It's a fine work. It's a hard work. Here's what's interesting. When Ellie was a baby, they asked her, so what does your daddy do? My daddy doesn't work. All my daddy does is study all day. That's exciting. I get to study the Bible. I get to pray. Isn't that wonderful? I get to spend time with people. I get to eat donuts with people. <laughs> you don't want this job? I get to eat donuts with people. That is exciting stuff. I, it, it is a wonderful thing to see what God does. It is a, it is a fine work. It, people nowadays, they look at it and they say, who, who would want to be a leader of a church? I read an article, 10 reasons why you should not pastor. Wow. 10 reasons. One of them, the guy's crying through the whole letter, but at the end of it, he says, I just want to be normal. I want to be able to go to a movie and nobody judge me, eat what I want, nobody judge me, and just be normal. I can't be normal. I've been doing this for 20 years. I just just don't want to be, I want to be normal. Unbelievable, guys. He gave 10 reasons why not to do it. I'd give you 100 reasons why you should. It's an amazing thing. And what he's saying here is this is a fine work. There is a desire that God puts in the heart to serve others, to shepherd others. To care for others. So the first thing you look for in a leader is somebody who has a God-given desire. Not somebody who's forced to do it or manipulated to do it, but a God-given desire to want to do it and to serve God's people. Now look at the second thing. Somebody comes to you and says, oh, I want to be a leader, but I got some desire. You eat donuts on Thursday? That's for me. Sign me up. Well, any other job you go after, they ask you for your credentials. Go on Indeed.com. We didn't want to see your certificates, your credentials, your degrees, everything. Look at God, what he does here. And here's where churches miss it. We get so excited about somebody who has great credentials. I mean, they got a doctorate of ministry. Oh, the guy, man, look at that. The guy can preach. Man, I mean, unbelievable. He hangs out with others. He's got to be a good pastor. And all they look at is externals and churches when they look for the next pastor, the guy comes in and he, he, he gives a sermon for 20 minutes and they say, there's the man, there's the one we want, credentials. And all they're worried about is credentials. What does God look at? God looks at character. Watch this. Who cares if the man has all the credentials and all the education, but yet he's not a man who's walking with God. He's going to go right through this. And this is something we all should have in our lives, not just not just leaders of churches. This is not a list that you go and say to your leader in your church, look, you're not this, by the way, you're disqualified. This is a list you look at and say, God, help me to be this. What is it? First thing you have, the God-given desire. Now you exemplify godly character. Here's what we want to look for in leaders, an overseer, Somebody who's going to guard God's flock, which is a spiritual thing, better be a, a spiritual man. He must be what? Above reproach. Doesn't mean that he's morally impeccable, but what it does mean is that you'd be shocked. Shocked. If you hear that he fell into some scandalous sin. Shocked. What? He was with another girl? No way. What? He left his family? You're kidding me. No way! He was robbing money. You, I can't believe it. You're shocked because he's such a man of character that you would never suspect out of his life. That's an amazing way to live. I remember a guy was in a car with another woman that wasn't his wife, and somebody in the church saw him and they were shocked. Like, wow! Can't be! No way! This is an elder. This is a wonderful guy. This can't be. And so they went to the pastor. Pastor, I saw Elder So-and-so in a car with another woman. What, did you ask who who that was? No, no, but I I, I can't can't be. Not this guy, no way. They find out, you know, the other woman was a relative of his. It wasn't another woman. That's how you ought to think. We ought to live in such a way that God says, It can't be. People, look, it can't be. You give them the benefit of the doubt because they're going to be accused. Oh, you better believe they're going to be accused. Look at the next one, the husband of one wife. You say, why is that in there? Anybody ever go to the horse track? Come on, let's confess our sins. Anybody ever been to the horse track? Been a little trifecta and horses and all that? No, no. I'm the only one. i the only one. i in the horse track. Come on, you guys. I know you guys don't want to show your sins because you want to be above reproach. But anyway, when you go to a horse track, and I learned this at a very young age, some of the horses get scared. Did you know that? And so what they do is they put blinkers on them. They put blinkers so they don't see things around them. They could just look straight ahead and they don't look at other things. What he's saying here is a one-woman man. The guy has blinkers on. He's not looking around to see, oh, I wish I would have married that and I, I want this woman and that woman. He has one woman and he's thankful to God for the one woman. And he's faithful in his heart. To the one woman. And he's, he's, you say, why is that important? Because did you know historically back then in this culture, they had three women? You ready for this? They had a mistress for their pleasure, they had a concubine for their needs, and they had a wife. You ready for this, women? They had a wife to give them children. Paul says, You have one woman, one, not three. One, you are faithful to that one woman. You love her with all your heart, soul, and mind. You have blinkers on, so you don't see other and want to be with others. Interesting, so you say, somebody says, man, I got a desire, I got a desire to lead God's church, but you know what, I'm just dealing with these kind of sins, and I got three women on the side, and I'm, you know what I mean, I can't be faithful to my wife, but I love God's church, and i want like, well, now nah, you're disqualified. Look at the next thing here. This is, this is an amazing one. He's temperate. The word means, I love this, he's balanced. He puts limits on his life. He has an appropriate emphasis on each one of his priorities. He understands that work is a priority, family is a priority, uh, walking with God is a priority, and this person is not out of balance with those things. How many do we know they're so out of balance with this and that, and they do this too much and this too much? No, this person is balanced, knows the priorities that God has given them, and knows how to put each time for each priority, and doesn't put too much emphasis on one thing. Some people put too much emphasis on one thing, and they're all out of balance, He's a temperate. He says the next thing is prudent. Someone who is self-controlled and who has control of their emotions. Especially anger. Let me tell you something. In leadership, anger, when anger gets in, that is big. And that'll destroy churches. Look at this next one. Respectable. The word is cosmos. Order means he's a well-ordered person. Organized plans well, and fulfills plans. Boy, I think of what, what Sam has been doing with the building stuff behind and the stuff he sent us. I mean, bing, 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 bing. That guy is, I and mean, you can give me 10 bucks later, he is organized. He is, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. I was just waiting for him to put on the list when I'm going to be able to go on vacation. But when I'm gonna do this. I mean, he had everything on there. This guy's bing, 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 bing. He's orderly. The word is there. He is, notice the next thing, hospitable. He loves strangers. And he opens his home to strangers. Let me let me tell you something. Opening a home is not easy. You know why? Because there's certain things that we value in the home that people get to see and touch and do when they're in your home. Right? Like one of them is food. You ever invite somebody over that eats a lot? Oh, yeah, I have. Invite the cadets over. They wipe your refrigerator out. If you want to get rid of stuff in your house, invite them over one Sunday when they're here. They'll eat everything you got. I mean, they eat every. They, they love to eat. There's people that you, you're inviting them into your privacy, but really what he's saying is, is that when we get together, and here's what I love. You know, Rick opens his home. We're thankful to the Lord. Steven's opening his home, and we see people in there, and just amazing what God's doing there. You learn a lot about people at the table, in fact, I learned some things I don't want to know about people at the table. Did I'll be at night laying down and looking at Katie. Did we just hear that? Did they really say that? Help me. I want to think through this again. Did they confess that they're doing that? Yeah, honey. They, really? Holy moly. It's a wonderful time to get to know people. It's a wonderful time to open up our hearts and to share the things that mean the most to us, our family, our time. He says he has to be a person who loves strangers. Not only the people he likes he invites over, he loves strangers. Notice we're going to skip over this, uh, the next one because we're going to come back to it. Verse 3, he's not addicted to wine. Can a leader drink? The answer is yes. But the, but the thing here in the Greek is saying this, he doesn't stay near the wine. In other words, he has to hold on to the alcohol. That person is disqualified. Those are the people that have to have a drink. Watch out with that one. When they come home and they say, well, I just have to have it. i got to have it. the, The wine is always there. It's right there. They need to have it. It's there. And they go to it instead of going to God. They're addicted to it. And really, it's interesting here what happens. Look at the next word. They drink, and then what happens to them? They become a Rocky Balboa. Look at that. You see it? It's right there in the Greek. Pugnacious. They're drinkers, and all of a sudden, they're fighters. My grandfather was like that. He'd have a Seagram 7, drink it with his coffee, and then all of a sudden, anybody that walked by him, he'd want to fight. I'm like, Grandpa, this guy will kill you. I don't care. Come on, you bum, you. That's this person. He can't control the wine, the drinking, and all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, they're ready to battle people. Let me tell you something. Somebody who's ready to battle people, they're not worthy of leadership. That's the last thing you need at a leadership meeting with people fighting with each other. And battling to get their own way and beating other people up and if they don't get their own way manipulating people and then telling them it's my way to highway or you're done or I'm out of here. We've had meetings unfortunately like that where guys have got up and walked out. I remember one time we had three new deacons we were so excited about showing them how to be a deacon and one of the older deacons got up, got mad and left. Does he still want to be a deacon? <laughs> we had unbelievable before we came here, in that room right there, that's a nursery where leaders were screaming at each other, taping each other, right here at Whitefield Community Bible Church this is before I came Uh, Rocky Balboa does not belong in leadership a fighter someone who wants to argue get their way, pout and shout, nope There was one pastor in Argentina who loved to do this. And he took another pastor. You can't even make these stories up. He took another pastor. He opened up the Bible, the first Timothy chapter three. And he told that other pastor, you are not qualified to be a pastor. You're not qualified. And the guy goes, the very passage that you're showing me is the very passage that disqualifies you. You're screaming at me in a coffee shop. Not about Rocky Balboa. Here's what he has to be. Look at this. Gentle. You know what that word means? Somebody who doesn't hold a grudge. It is so easy to hold a grudge when people criticize you. Or say things we don't want to hear. And we just hold a grudge against them. Leadership is not for grudge holders. Derek Jeter is now doing a thing now with A-Rod. They hated each other. and They asked Derek Jeter what? He goes, life's too short to hold grudges. Can't hold grudge. Peaceable, one who seeks peace with somebody. Who looks for compromise. And then this next one, I think, makes me sick to my stomach because we see it so much out there and it really puts a bad name, gives a bad name to people who want to be in ministry. Look at this in verse 3. Free from the love of what? And how many have you been there where all they talk about is what? Money. Right? And I saw a great cartoon about this. It was funny. The guy goes, Pastor, how come every time you need money, you talk to God, but when, no, I'm sorry, every time we need money, you tell us to talk to God, but when you need money, you talk to us. <laughs> But yet there's churches out there all the time doing it. And we're seeing it. A person in leadership needs to be free from that. A generous person. One who is willing to give. Now, we look at this and we say, God, help us. I look through this. some of these things, I get encouraged. Some of these, I'm like, Lord, I need a lot of help. We look at this and we say, Lord, this is not just for the leaders. God, help me to be like this as well. We want to be people of character. But it's a desire in the heart and it's godly character to back up that desire. But it doesn't stop there. Somebody says, well, I want to do it. I want to be. I want to eat donuts on Thursday. I mean, this is great. I want to do it. Look at what it says here in verse 2. We left out one thing that's very important. He ought to be able to what? Teach. That doesn't mean he just gets up there and reads a sermon. Anyone can do that. It means a person is able to understand the Bible, explain the Bible to people who agree and to people who disagree. To people who come and say, what, do you believe in that? Show me in the Bible where that is. Oh, do you want to see in the Bible? I can show you in the Bible where it is. Well, we had one guy come here to the church when I first got here and said, I'll join if you change the doctrinal statement. So I opened up the Bible and I said, where do you want us to change? And you know his response? You're the doctor, I'm not. Now wait a minute, you asked me to change. You show me in the scriptures where we need to change. Because we're not changing just for you. Because if we change for you, What if the next guy comes and says, change the doctrinal statement for me? Where do we go with this? And if we're wrong, please, with an open heart, show me. We're willing to know. Help us. No, No response. You know, he did that to another leader before I got here. And that leader said, really, that's in our doctrinal statement? I've never even read our doctrinal statement. The guy was a leader in our church. God help us. This person needs to be apt to teach. he to not only in public teaching, but in private conversations. That's where it gets harder. Public public teaching is easy. You know why? You guys just sit there and go, okay, Pastor, thank you very much. And then you leave. Private conversations, now I gotta answer your questions. That's harder. You know what I mean? That's where it gets a little bit more difficult. Public is public is easy. The private ones, that's the hard part. But he has to be able to to, to be able to explain the Bible in private. Conversations. You know, here's what's interesting. I thank God. We are blessed here. I was looking at pictures of years ago and leadership and all that, and I say, "Wow, Lord, you have brought us a long way. A long way." We are so thankful. I, I I see Rick opening his heart, his home, the scriptures to see him grow. It's so exciting to see him. The, the things that God is teaching him is just amazing. I see Stephen. Oh, every time I ask him will you preach, his eyes get like this big because he's he knows the responsibility of that. He's he's like wow, I got you know, and I got to give him months in advance because I can't just give him one week. You know, he's not one of those has a sermon in his back pocket. I mean, this guy studies. He studies. Knows the scriptures. We're blessed with Rob in a moment. You say Rob, hey. Hey, can you preach the word? Boom, you can preach the word. We're thankful to God for that. He's doing it every Wednesday night. You guys don't see it. Every Wednesday night, they're going through the book of Acts. We praise God for that. We are blessed. Jesse, I am amazed as he leads the small groups and leads the discussions and some people like to bring it off and he brings it right back to where it needs to be and he's learning and growing and I'm, I'm just, I'm thankful to God. Chalmer, don't even mess with Chalmer and the Bible. He, he was one of the original authors of the Bible and, and he's a, yeah, you don't even mess with him but Chalmer, but I tell you, praise God, he knows the scriptures he, you, don't, he, you talk to him about the Bible he is a sharp man sharp man praise god we are blessed we are blessed and we don't need many we're thankful for the few that we have and i want to show you one passage as we end here that god really encouraged me with turn with me to first samuel for a moment first samuel here is jonathan about to do a big battle And who does Jonathan bring with him? One guy. His armor bearer. In chapter 14. And in verse 6, Jonathan says this, and I love this verse. Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. I love this. Perhaps... The Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by how many? By few. But he doesn't need many. All he needs is a few that have a desire to serve him. A God-given desire. He'll never give us a task without the desire to do it. It comes from God. It's not that you can't do anything, it's you won't because you know this is what God has called you to do, to serve his people. A character that exemplifies his word and an ability to be able to teach. And God can use that. And people who walk in here, don't know Jesus, all of a sudden come to Jesus and go to seminary. That's all God. And that's exciting stuff because this is not only a fine work, this is a good Fine, beautiful work. Now we haven't finished yet. We got three more things to talk about. we got to wait till the snow goes away and and next week, and we'll talk about it then. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for this beautiful passage of Scripture. And Lord, I thank you that you're not looking for perfect people, because none of us would be qualified. But you're just looking for people who have a heart to serve you. And Lord, they say, Lord, here here I am. Use me. Father, this isn't a position of power that we're looking for or a title. Just want to serve you and take care of your people, your way. And so, God, I pray that if there are some here that have that desire, that you would show it to them and, and let them continue to, to study and, and pursue that desire. Father, I pray, Lord, for the character of the leadership. God, I look at this list, I say, wow. Help us, oh Lord. Help us, Father, to live a life that doesn't bring any reproach to you. Help us to be faithful to our to our wives and our hearts and our minds. Help us, Lord, to 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 know how to balance our priorities and Lord to prioritize things and have a balance there as well, not to be out of whack in certain areas of our lives. But to maintain family and work and time with you and serving you, all in balance. Help us, Lord, to be self-controlled. How anger can easily come into our hearts and and grudges. Lord, help us not to hold any grudges. To forgive as you have forgiven. Help help us, Father, to not look to things like wine to get us through the day, but to look to you and to be a fighter with other people. Oh, God, help us not to go down that route. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Continue to build the leadership here at this church. We are so blessed with godly men that you have provided. Father, continue to work in each of our lives and help us to exemplify what you want. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.